Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Working for a Living radio show where we present opinions about labor that matter. I have a few announcements. Uh, let me uh, do this. Uh, please remember to decline to sign any petition here in Michigan that you are presented with regarding the Michigan prevailing wage as we attempt to support our brothers and sisters in the building trades uh, and those non-union people who uh, depend on prevailing wage uh, for their wages. Uh, uh, The next announcement is there's going to be a Million Student March, a national day against racism and student debt to be held April 13th in Chicago. And more than another, this is another uh, uh, item, more than 5,000 Teamster pensioners will be heading to Washington, D.C. next week, this coming week, to tell Congress that they want the Multi-Employer Pension Reform Act of 2014 repealed. And anybody that can get down there to D.C. next week and help them, I think it's just whenever they get there. I didn't see a particular date, just uh, as through the week if you can get there to support them. So we had uh, a few emails uh, we had a lot of congratulations, but we'll just pick a, co- a couple. Uh, I enjoyed your inaugural show and look forward to becoming a regular listener. That came from Ava in Midtown Atlanta. Uh, the next one was uh, congratulations on the inaugural show for uh, Working for a Living. I wish you all the best in your upcoming shows. That's Janine from Chicago. Uh, we had another email. Uh, Leroy, thank you for attending our event. Improving Infrastructure Investments. Best wishes, BPC events team. That was in support of the building trades. We try and help them uh, get uh, uh, better infrastructure and uh, to see that it's funded properly. They're going from a a tax base to a philanthropy-based payment of infrastructure systems. I wish them all the best. we did get a, uh, a response for a request to a mystery guest. Um, here it goes. Uh, thank you for your note. Please understand that we uh, are the uh, are being inundated with requests for appearances. Your request has been sent to staff review. I cannot uh, provide a timeline with which they might get back to you, but if they do, it will go directly to the contact information provided here. We very much appreciate your efforts and interest, Sophia. So we'll see when the mystery guests can come on uh, as time goes along. Um, uh, we also received one very complimentary comment in the uh, .com, but it's too long to read here on the show, so we won't do that. Um, in the news, uh, let me bring on uh, some of our friends here. Uh, and uh, let's see, uh, this would be... Hmm. Not seeing the person I'm looking for here. Jeez. Oh, um, they come on with a different number and they throw me off somehow. Uh, that's good. Jeez, um, I'm at a loss for who's who's supposed to be here right now. This is we'll go with David. Uh, get David on here. David, are you unmuted now? There, you're unmuted. Hello, David. Can you hear me? Can't hear David. David, are you there? Yeah, I am. Oh, there he is. Okay. Can you hear? Yeah, that's good. Um, so we. Uh, uh, have some news. We'll just go with you on the uh, in the news for now, and we'll figure out uh, who the other guests are on the, on the, the uh, switchboard here, and get them on as time goes by. Um, but if you'd go on and uh, give us your your uh, in the news update, if you would start that off, please, uh, David. Uh, uh, as you know, uh, Jeff is uh, uh, otherwise busy this evening and could not attend, so David's going to fill in for him this evening. Uh, thank you, David. Thanks for having me on tonight, Leroy. Oh, you're welcome, man. Thank you. Okay. 
Um, in the Detroit News, um, UAW officers earn less. According to the UAW's annual filing with the U.S. Department of Labor, aid New York-based Berlin Rosen Public Affairs, $470,543 was expended during the year, up from $115,475 in 2014. That spending included more than $345,000 during the last three months of the year after UAW members at Fiat Chrysler Automobiles NB overwhelmingly voted down a first tentative agreement. Um, bulleted item two, UAW executive officers earned less last year as reported on the LM2 required filing. A. Williams and other top-ranking officials earned thousands of dollars less last year than they did in 14, according to the union's yearly filing with the U.S. Department of Labor. Williams, according to the recent filing, earned $170,464.15, a 3% or $4,696 decrease from 2014. His earnings included a gross salary of $159,059, down from 970 from 2014, and 11405 in other disbursements. After Williams' top earning officers last year included UAW Secretary-Treasurer Gary Castile, $162,867, UAW Region 9 Director Terry Deitz, $159,809. UAW Vice President Cindy Estrada, $158,480. And UAW Region 5 Director Gary Jones, $158,108. Although annual salaries are outlined by the UAW Constitution, the earnings in this in the filing include the salary, bonuses, benefits, and other allowances such as travel and reimbursements. And we have uh, Ford's decision to invest $1.6 billion to create 2,800 2, in Mexico to build a small car, still being still creating much anger among auto workers. However, today in the Detroit News editorial opinion called out Dennis Williams as disingenuous. AW President Dennis Williams called the recent announcement that Ford Motor Company is investing $1.6 billion and 2,800 jobs in a New Mexico plant a disappointment and very troubling. But it's disingenuous for him to complain the jobs are moving south rather than growing in Detroit. Williams and other union knew they were sacrificing jobs and future investments from Detroit's big three in the United States when they pushed for a fatter contract with the automotive companies last fall. They sacrificed long-term growth, which could have included expanding small car production here for immediate gains. Even the UAW's relative current stability rooted in confidence they will continue to make high output popular trucks and SUVs in the United States could be threatened in the near future. That's about all I got, uh, Leroy. Okay, there's there's three um, very important issues there. I think we have Terry on. Terry, are you on with us now? I am. Can you hear me this time? Yes, we can. Could you, Thank you very I much. Can, I can hear you, Terry. All righty. Okay. How's everybody uh, doing tonight? Pretty good. We're doing pretty good tonight, Terry. It's nice to have you on. And, uh, you know, Jeff couldn't make it because he's otherwise involved. And uh, Dave's filling in for him tonight. So it'll be the three of us, and Roberta will join us in a little while. Uh, I know you have some news items you'd like to, to uh, update us about as well. So if you want to go ahead and do that, please uh, feel free. 
Okay. So this week, uh, the Supreme Court made uh, more decisions unfavorable to corporate executives in the wake of Justice Scalia's death. Justices declined on Monday to hear appeals by Walmart and Wells Fargo in moves that upheld two nine-figure class action judgments that went against the multinational giants. Walmart uh, has been ordered to pay $150 million to 187000 Pennsylvania workers for wage theft that occurred between 1998 and 2006. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court has sided with the employees in 2014, ruling that they were forced to work off the clock and denied breaks. Wells Fargo had been ordered by a federal appellate judge in 2014 to pay California consumers $203 million for misleading them on overdraft policies in violation of state consumer protection laws. That ruling was upheld in 2010 uh, in a district court decision. The cases were decided less than two weeks after the Supreme Court ruled against another class action defendant, Tyson Foods. On March 22nd, justices ruled 6-2 to two that the meat producer must pay thousands of workers $5.8 million dollars Tyson employees also said that they were victimized by wage theft. They had not been compensated for time it took to prepare for shift. The okay. Tyson cases, and you want me to finish? Go ahead. Them? Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. The Tyson case had been closely watched by corporate America due to centering around the statistics in awarding damages. Critics in the business community have described such use of statistics as trial by formula, that violates process rights. Instead of assessing each claim individually for more than 3,000 current and former employees who are now suing, conservatives also accuse class action litigation as frivolity. The Cato Institute, for example, says that the lawsuits are increasingly becoming tools to enrich lawyers and harass businesses. In 2011, the Supreme Court set an important precedent in class action matters by ruling 1.5 million women who had claimed Walmart had discriminated against them when setting pay. A 5-4 to four majority found that the women had distinct and different employment experience and thus lacked the commonality needed to process uh, class action. So that's, a, that's about it. Okay. I I didn't mean to uh, interrupt you in the middle of your news report okay. about the Supreme Court. Uh, the, uh, uh, so you've heard so far about the UAW news from David and the Supreme Court news from Terry, and I have a little bit of other uh, labor news here. We'll uh, go ahead and uh, finish this off in the news section here. Uh, the Teamsters retirees are fighting for the pension as the federal law threatens to cut them by as much as 70%. Uh, because of the Multi-Employer Pension Reform Act of 2014, hundreds of thousands of teamsters across the nation, many of them in Wisconsin, would soon, could soon find their promised pension checks slashed by as much as 70%. Uh, the cut to the central state's fund is expected to go into effect July 1st of this year unless Congress decides to repeal the uh, 2014 Employer Pension Reform Act. The central state's fund is facing billions of unpaid debt, and the Wisconsin Committee to Protect Pensions says it's the first of many funds trying to use the law as a bailout. In order for this to happen, the fund's application must be approved by a federal mediator on March 7th. The Endeavor Committee of the Wisconsin Committee uh, to Protect Pensions is trying to stop the law from going from doing all that damage. Uh, to that end, more than 5,000 pensioners are expected to head to D.C. next week, and dozens from the Endeavor Committee telling to tell Congress why they want the law repealed. At risk, attention. At risk are 1,400 different multi-employee pension plans that cover 10 million people. This is serious. And it could get legs. So in the next uh, related news here, the lame duck Congress is nearing a vote on arguably the biggest change to private pension law 
and decades. Representatives John Klein, from a Republican from Minnesota, and George Miller, Democrat from California, the highest-ranking members on the House Education and Workforce Committee, have brokered a last-minute deal to reform multi-employer pensions. The full extent of the Klein-Miller proposal remains unclear, but in addition to granting sweeping new authority to the trustees of some deeply troubled multi-employer pension plans to slash benefits promised to current retirees, something that's illegal under existing law, may, uh, it may include other, than, uh, other less than high-profile elements. Uh, again, it may include other less than high-profile elements in the solutions, uh, not bailouts, report. A proposal authored last year by that's a, that the Solutions Not Bailouts report is a repos, proposal authored last year by the National Coordinating Committee for Multi-Employer Plans, a labor management coalition. That's who's bringing this to us. It is also reported that under the Klein-Miller Act, pension cuts would be restricted to 110% of the benefits that the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation would otherwise pay. Uh, in other news, on the morning of April 4th, Monday last week, 2016, Governors Andrew Cuomo and New York Jerry Brown from California, and of uh, Cuomo's from New York, signed into law a new $15 per hour minimum wage. And we're all very happy that we're starting to see some increases in that minimum wage. Of course, those are two very expensive uh, uh, states to live in, so it's uh, probably long overdue. In other news, it is reported that the Flint Truck Assembly Local Union 598 has a new parking policy. It appears that employees will be with state-approved handicapped parking placards, must now return to their doctor and get a current letter stating why they have the state handicap placard, and then present that to that new letter to the implant GM doctor and let him or her decide if they will issue approval to receive a GM disability sticker or you may not park in handicapped spots. Uh, the result of that is yet to be seen. That's just new this week. Well, that's news. Uh, that's the news a, for this week. Can I ask uh, a question, and, uh, Leroy, in regards to that? Yes, Can I ask uh, a any, question in regards yes. to that uh, um, 598 issue? Um, sure. Wouldn't that violate HIPAA laws? Uh, well, you know, none of us here are attorneys, so it's all always just our opinion. But, uh, you know, it's a pretty educated opinion, given our experience on this show. Uh, I would uh, agree <coughs> that it does violate HIPAA laws. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that, Terry? She might have muted her phone. T Terry, do you have any thoughts on I'm the so, uh, disability I'm, so, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I don't. Uh, I was away, so uh, I okay. didn't hear the question. Well, I, uh, the question, question was. was go ahead, Dave. Yeah. Yeah, the question was, Terry. They're asking 598 members if they uh, apply for uh, a parking handicap parking place that they have to provide information um, from their doctors in order to get it approved by the medical doctor at their facility. And my question was, doesn't that violate HIPAA law? Well, I mean, like our plants, if you want to park inside the gate, um, it has to go through our medical department. If you want to park in the parking space, yeah, it is marked for handicap. There's you know, nobody's questioning that. Um, I would think that it would go uh, site, job site by job site as to what they, you know, expect. But if there's handicapped parking, I don't see, you know, where everybody else parks. I don't see where they would actually, you know, have the right to um, question, you know, the state. The state is the one that you have to yes, file with. So... So I don't know, you know, would it be a HIPAA lie? I, I really couldn't answer that unless they were parking, like, inside where salary people park or, you know, something like that. 
do you know if that's what what what's happening? Right, uh, Terry. The uh, uh, the Flint Truck Assembly Local 598 in the Flint uh, Van Slyke uh, uh, Road area. They're they're asking them to get a new letter from their doctor, and yeah. then bring that into the GM doctor. Uh, certainly, that you know the state is the approving authority on these, and whatever the state does, I don't see how GM can set themselves up above ahead ahead of them. But more importantly, does this then violate the HIPAA Act in that certain information would be private? between you and your doctor. Uh, right. Well, like I, I, I mean, they think that they can do anything they want to in the plants anyways as far as that goes. Anybody that's ever been out on medical or or something along those lines uh, certainly, or has FMLA certainly knows that because uh, um, even with HIPAA laws, they do have a right. And again, I go back to are they parking in uh, a designated area um, um, that is not part of the regular parking lot. You know what I'm saying? Uh, in all parking lots, there should be designated probably by law if if they're getting um, any kind of state funding. Uh, so I don't I, I don't know what the specifics is if it's inside of the gate where it's closer to the door than in the regular parking lot. I can't. If it's in the regular parking lot, I can't see how they would have the right to question them. You know. State approved sticker, huh? Right. You know, driving yeah. inside yeah. the company's gate is something totally different. You know, um, but if it's in a regular parking lot, I really just don't see how they would have that right. Well, they're they're gonna try it out and see what happens. I suppose so. We'll, we'll see. Uh, I'm sure that I there's guess I uh, folks standing out there in line waiting to uh, test this. So we'll see what happens. Go ahead, David. If I was one of those um, employees who had a parking sticker, I would question that to um, uh, as whether or not I had to supply my medical information under HIPAA law. That may I don't be disagree. I don't disagree are. with you. Yeah. The uh, the other thing that Terry aptly pointed out is that these plants um, do get funding from and tax abatements from the st- you know local, state, and federal governments, and you kind of wonder if now they're going to just start writing their own law within the the plant grounds after you know receiving these grants and, and tax abatements. So it's going to be interesting. So um, just, uh, is that, are we, we good with that one now? Everybody okay? Yeah, I'm good forward? on that. Okay, well, you know, uh, we'll move forward with some more news uh, this week that we've had. Um, Terry's been developing a very interesting story about women's rights, and it's one of our topics this evening. Uh, but women's rights in the workforce, in particular the whole issue surrounding women who are breastfeeding. Uh, there was uh, some uh, an, an issue that came up in a GM plant uh, where uh, there was a photo, and we don't know if the photo was altered or not, but we wanted to bring to everybody's attention the, uh, the, uh, the laws that we came up with, or Terry came up with, uh, regarding all of this and, and some surrounding information on the issue itself, how this came to her attention. So, uh, Terry, if you want to take that away and give us uh, that story that you've been working on all week here for us, please. Yeah, there was a, a posting on one of the um, Facebook pages, a, a young mother um, who breastfeeds uh, went to uh, asked for a break to express um, the breast milk and was denied the right to do that. Um, the company said that they do the best they can, but if they're short on people, she's just going to have to wait. 
which, <laughs> you know, anybody that, uh, any woman that uh, has ever breastfed knows that that is not a very good thing when you have to, when you have to get to that point to express it, you need to do it um, within a reasonable amount of time. So by the time she got into, I don't know if she did it in the bathroom or whatever, um, there was blood in the breast milk, which is absolutely appalling. Um, so we did, uh, I did some research and uh, had some discussion with her, so on and so forth, and there was a outpour of support for her on this Facebook page. I think that the issue may be addressed. I don't I don't know for sure. I haven't talked to her the rest of this weekend. But, uh, you know, one of the things that, that people have to do in, you know, everybody has special circumstances, and I would highly suggest that people do a little bit of research most of the stuff can be found under the U.S. Department of Labor Wage and Hourly Division. And in this case, um, you can look at fact sheet number 73, and it's called Break Time for Nursing Mothers under FLSA, which is the Fair Labor Standard Act. And it says uh, time and location of breaks. Employers are required to provide a reasonable amount of break time to express milk as frequently as needed by nursing mothers. The frequencies of breaks needed to express milk as well as duration of each break will likely vary. A bathroom, even if private, is not permissible location under the Act. The location provided must be functional as a space for expressing breast milk. If the space is not dedicated to the nursing mother's use, it must be available when needed in order to meet the statutory requirements a space temporary created or converted into a space for expressing milk or made available when needed by the nursing mother is sufficient, provided that the space is shielded from view and free from any intrusion from coworkers or the public. So <clears throat> in this case, I don't know where they allow her to go. I know that... Um, uh, there was discussion on that page that um, they told her, well, just go to the nurse if you need to go. So I'm assuming that she's not even using the nursing station, you know, at this point. Uh, I was just absolutely appalled at uh, the pictures, you know, blood in this milk, and uh, it just, you know, pissed me off. Let me say that uh, this goes back to this being a male-dominated society, run, the business is run by men, and uh, women have got to start taking some leadership roles in the locals. You have women's committee. Most certainly this is something that they should be addressing. You know, we have a lot of young people coming in, uh, a lot of entry-level people, and uh, most certainly we're going to have uh, more pregnancies in the job site uh, than we've seen in, in many years. <clears throat> so hopefully uh, this issue for her will be resolved within a, a short amount of time, and hopefully uh, anybody listening will pay attention to what happens to these young people that are pregnant and make sure that uh, it's taken care of. It's not up to a team leader to ensure that these people have um, the proper coverage. It's, it, it's the company's obligation, you know, to make sure that there's people available in instances like this so they can get them off the line and get them into uh, the nurse's station or whatever it may be. So that's my little rant for the week. <laughs> well, we much appreciate it, Terry. Uh, uh, you know, it's a very serious issue, and, and uh, Terry aptly points out that it's uh, largely a male-dominated environment in, in the plants, and these issues that are, uh, you know, specific to women 
that are very important issues uh, of uh, personal health, their own well-being could be at risk here. If this goes uh, and gets uh, some sort of infection or whatever, we just don't know. As you heard from Terry, this was a very, very uh, horrific photo. Uh, and we don't, again, we don't know that that might have been altered or not, but we're going to take it at face value because we don't know. Uh, and uh, these, these are issues that are uh, important, and we're going to try and bring those out when they come to the fore uh, here on Working for a Living. Uh, and we're happy to have Terry here bringing out this report tonight uh, so that we can put some balance in the issues that come before you. Uh, so, uh, Jeff, or I'm sorry, <laughs> David, do you have any comments on that yourself? Yeah, I do. Um, the side of the law and everything, um, that's a very demeaning um, position to put a woman in. I would think that um, you would begin to soak through your shirt in front of everybody. And uh, that's very demeaning to a woman to have something like that happen to her when it's totally um, avoidable. They simply need to have the people on the plant floor in order to relieve these women. Well, you know, the thing is, too, it, and I think all of us have heard the stories where, <clears throat> you know, an employee's been told, no, they can't go to the bathroom, or um, uh, one of uh, my coworkers said to me that uh, one of the team leaders told them that the women ought to quit drinking coffee because they have to go to the bathroom too often. I- I'm like, this that's totally inappropriate. Totally inappropriate. You know, and the union really needs to step up and <clears throat> when when they have these team leader job postings, whether they're elected or whether they're uh, off of a job posting, they really need to spend at least, you know, one day. The company gets their week uh, training team leaders or whatever, and the union really needs to take one day and, and spend time teaching them either how to be a good union person and how to treat people right. And that's, you know, that's one of the roles as a team leader. You know, you're supposed to be helping to support them, not to grade them. And I, I certainly wouldn't put up with somebody, you know, telling me uh, how often I should be able to use the bathroom. I think that that is just degrading and it's it's horrible. Well, we had a um, policy of 15 minutes you walk. Um when I worked, um, I retired in 2009. I don't know how people handle that now, but um, when you asked for a bathroom break, I had to come to you within 15 minutes, or you just walked off the line and went, and went to the bathroom. Right. Well, I mean, that is an OSHA ruling also. You have to give them a reasonable amount of time to get somebody to cover you because um, you just... You know, otherwise, if they didn't roll that, otherwise you may have people, you know, just walking off the line. But that is, you know, certainly covered under the rules of OSHA. And um, some of the things that happen in the plants, you know, when I hear some of these stories, it's just like, what? You know, why would you want to treat someone like that in the first place? Right. Amen. Uh, if, uh, exactly. Uh, and, you know, did the union as well as management failed this woman, I guess it's up to you to make that decision. I'm leaning, yeah, they did. We have Roberta on the show now. I believe she's joined us. And I uh, wondered if Roberta uh, uh, had some comments on this. You there, Roberta? Yes. Hi, Leroy. Hi, Jeff and Terry. Good morning. <laughs> How you doing, Good morning. Roberta? <laughs> How well, are you? Well, it's my morning. <laughs> Um, I was listening to you commenting on the um, um, the the woman um, breastfeeding her issue. Um, our women's committee did take on that issue, and uh, we have designated locations in our plants where a woman can go and um, extract the milk and and store it. So there's a designated location in the plant, and that was from the effort of our women's committee pushing the issue. Um, also, in addition to that, we do have a parking spot um, reserved for uh, pregnant um, women. Um, 
that's uh, around where the handicap uh, parking is. That's terrific. So we've taken that issue on, and they're relieved, um, just like you relieve someone for a bathroom break. I'm sorry, bathroom break. So they're relieved, you know, in that manner. And it hasn't been an issue so far since, you know, that was initiated. And that was a few years ago. That's terrific. You're in a GM plant too, aren't you, Roberta? Yes. Also, I was looking at our New York State law concerning um, uh, the Department of Motor Vehicles regarding reserved parking spaces, and it says um, that they do not have any control over private parking. So it says the municipality do not have control over the assignment of parking spaces in private parking lots, but many facilities provide their own reserved parking. So um, I guess the... um, the issue with the um, the parking lot was that the Flint location, yeah. the handicap parking, was that yes, the Flint it. location? Yeah, yeah, that was Correct. Flint. Right. Well, according to the um, Department of Motor Vehicle for the New York State, um, they wouldn't have any say so as far as parking in private parking lots. So that's something that needs to be addressed or looked into as far as do they have a right to, you know, demand their eligibility for handicap parking. I believe at our plant, I believe at our plant, um, I came from Lansing, um, I I believe the city police, city of Lansing police um, issued tickets for parties that were parked in um, handicapped spots that didn't have a sticker, but I could be mistaken, um, but it does seem like they did patrol our parking lines. Well, I know our security, our security um, will issue a ticket, a warning if you're parked in the handicapped parking space and you don't have a a sticker. Yeah, we did have secured us. They're the contracted firm for uh, plant security. Yes. Okay. You guys have that same facility in New York? Yes. We have a um, um, a, a security outfit that's separate from the General Motors. Those used to be in-house salary jobs many years ago. Yes. And some of the people are still working, but they're under the new corporation, security corporation. Correct. So we we have, uh, you know, that uh, that parking issues uh, uh, just going to continue to be an, an, an item, and I imagine the state might themselves get involved in this, given that the. Uh, the corporation gets a lot of money from them. Uh, and as David pointed out, the, the uh, enforcement had always been, uh, to my knowledge, by the uh, uh, outside policing authority for the area. Uh, they would come on and, and write those tickets as needed. So, um, uh, and you have anything else for us, uh, Roberta? Um, back to the uh, pregnancy, um, the, the um, breastfeeding law. In New York State, um, the uh, civil rights law permits a mother to breastfeed her child in any public or private location. Um, as far as our New York State correction law, it allows a mother of a nursing child to be accompanied by her child if she's committed to a correctional facility at the time she is breastfeeding. So this law allows the child to be with the mother up until they're one year old. Um, we also have a law, labor law, that states that the employer must allow breastfeeding mothers reasonable unpaid break time to express milk and make a reasonable attempt to provide a private location to do so. Prohibits discrimination against breastfeed, breastfeeding mothers. So those are the laws that are on the books in New York State. Um, they do not um, require the um, employer to pay um, the person uh, while they're on their break. 
but like I said, at our facility, it's treated as a um, restroom break, and um, so far they're being paid for um, during the time that they're on break. That's interesting. interesting. That's very interesting. Yes. Yes. Very interesting information. Um, so, that uh, we really appreciate that uh, insight from New York as well. It's a completely different state than the Midwest states, and so there's a little bit of a different mindset up in New York. So we appreciate that uh, uh, perspective, Roberta. And it's very uh, good of you to have that at the ready for us here this evening. They're very, very much appreciated. So, okay. uh, anything else? You have anything else for us? Uh, no, I'll just wait and see what's the next topic. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, we'll uh, we'll get on to the next topic. If there's nothing else on the uh, Terry, do you have anything else at all, or uh, 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 David, on the issue of uh, uh, the breast uh, feeding in or the women who need to express uh, in the plant? Is there anything else? I want to make sure we're finished. No, with I think I've all covered it for me. I'm no, but I okay? hope somebody. I hope I, I hope somebody does take up like like um, Roberta said that the the women's committee and the plants. I mean, again, like I said, there are so many new hires coming in. I, I hope that uh, people take that and try to lay some standards down uh, for these young people. Uh, one less thing to worry about. Right, because there's a lot of, you know, there's going to be a lot of turnover in the next few years. So, uh, you know, the, these folks need to have, you know, because they're really clamping down on the attendance for these sort of issues and things. So if they want them in the plant, they're going to have to provide the facilities and the time for these things to occur, you know, these womenly issues uh, and for their children. Because uh, the children rely on that for nourishment the next day, uh, sometimes even that night. So uh, it's a very, very important issue, and I'm happy that we brought it to the fore here this evening. Thank you very much, Terry, for putting a lot of effort into researching this for the, uh, the public out there and for our membership. So, if anybody wants to um, look at these uh, Michigan laws, I'd took the liberty of uh, bringing the links over to the Working for a Living Facebook page. Right. And and uh, on Monday, so that, so that everybody knows, on Monday uh, after the show, we will post every relevant thing that we talked about on workingforaliving.com. You can go there and find it. You can pick up the links that we discussed and the links we used for our research, uh, and you uh, can have full access to those as at this time. Uh, so uh, they'll be there uh, on the uh, uh, workingforaliving.com. That's no G's and four is a number. So working for a living, just like the show and the Facebook page. So that's more available to the public that might not be in any one of our closed Facebook groups. So we, we're trying to take care of everyone here. Uh, our next topic uh, and, and I did a little research on this this, this past week, uh, and uh, I got to tell you that this isn't a, just an effort by me, but we had some support. Uh, you know, Brother Art Peterson brought this to my attention, uh, and uh, I believe we lost over it in the contract uh, negotiation time. But we, uh, it's still a very relevant issue. This is about temporaries in the plant and their use. And I want to just go through some things. Uh, anybody that wants to follow along, you can go to uaw.org and go to the, G, uh, the uh, contract negotiations, go to uh, General Motors, and then the very first um, book. It's the contract book on the top left. Uh, click on that, and it will come, come up as a PDF. And you can follow along uh, if you choose to. Again, that will be a link on the uh, the site. We'll give them link authority. So uh, I guess we'll we'll just have to live with that one. But uh, it'll be a, a link on the uh, the other page. Let me start with this, uh, and this is some of the stuff that 
Art brought to my attention, and he and I both did some research on this, and I want to thank Art Peterson for this. Uh, you may know Art Peterson also has a an appeal uh, in the process for an Article 32 ethics violation regarding the election that's been held at his plant for the uh, uh, ratification election. So um, he's still out there, and he's very, very uh, uh, helpful in a, in a lot of ways. So we thank you again, Art. Uh, let's go. Let's get this started because we've got about 15 minutes left here. First of all, yeah. in the uh, index, uh, I just want to uh, uh, let everybody know what we're in the index section under appendices, and that's digital page three out of 440. And under appendix D, it says interpretation of paragraph four through four C and paragraph 57. This is interpretative language. This, any question regarding either one, any one of these paragraphs, uh, four or A, B, and C, four, four A, four B, and four C, or paragraph 57, they uh, deal with acquiring 90 days worth of seniority. Uh, that is Appendix D, and then Appendix D is on page 122. And uh, it outlines exactly getting 90 days within a six-month continuous period, and any person who may work even a single day gets credit for seven days during this period of time, the 180-day period. Uh, the last uh, paragraph, <coughs> paragraph five of Appendix D, I know this is a little bit, you know, contractual in nature, so you're just going to have to. Bear with us, but we'll bring it to a head for you here in a minute. Uh, in the event a temporary employee, in the event temporary employees are summoned to report for jury duty, uh, as prescribed by the applicable law during the period of continuous six continuous months preceding the date they acquire seniority pursuant to paragraph 57, and it goes on. But that gives you the gist of what this is about. So, temporary employees are referenced in this paragraph. Okay, temporaries are referenced in this paragraph. That doesn't say new hire, uh, and we'll get into that in just a second. So it's referenced here, and that is language that covers. This is the uh, uh, paragraph 4 through 4C and paragraph 57. Clarification. This is what's supposed to clarify those. Okay, and the next item that we have uh, that I would like to bring to your attention is the um, paragraph, or this is page 110, 110. This is uh, about seniority employees hired for temporary work. It appears we now have yet another tier, <laughs> another tier. This is where a seniority employee gets recalled to his, home, his or her home plant and they uh, get the opportunity for work, but it's only temporary work. You're not going back as a seniority employee. You are a temporary senior, seniority temporary, uh, and your time does not go into the, according to this, uh, this says time worked by, and this is uh, paragraph D uh, on page one, digital page 110, uh, this is, uh, the total heading here, I want to get that for you, is laid off seniority employees hired for temporary work. So if you're laid off uh, and you get called to any plant or recalled to your home plant, uh, this, uh, this uh, paragraph D on 110, uh, time, work, time worked by a temporary employee who is, who is hired pursuant to this memorandum will not be included in the computation for acquiring seniority pursuant to paragraph 57 and appendix D. Now they very clearly spell that out for a seniority employee hired as a temporary employee <laughs> in another plant. Wow, uh, they have really muddled this up, I'll tell you. In other words, if you're working in, your, uh, in a plant that gets a reduction in force and you're making uh, whatever the 3180 80 uh, uh, cents an hour or the 28 
uh, I think it's twenty nine dollars and fifty some cents an hour now that they're making. Then you could get hired in as a you know get laid off and get hired in as a temporary in any plant, including your home plant, the home plant where you started. You'd be working as a temporary employee if they had a recall a need for a temporary employee and weren't back to your recall date for whatever reason. Uh, but they had temporary. You could go in as a temporary and work and make 15 bucks an hour. I'm going to wrap this up because we've got nine minutes left here. So that uh, that's very interesting language, and your time would not, uh, it's very clear it would not apply to, uh, to paragraph 57 or appendix D. And then we have the um, workforce composition. This is attached, this is on page, uh, digital page 115. Uh, appendix, attachment B to Appendix A, workforce composition. Okay, so digital, what digital page one seventeen. Uh, I'm yes, yes, digital. Well, yeah, I went up to the top of it, but it's digital page one seventeen where we have this language at, uh, and that this uh, this applies to uh, uh, everybody that that uh, is a temporary employee. Uh, and there is no language like I just told you about the seniority employees that they're prohibited from getting seniority through Appendix D or Paragraph 57. Um, they're prohibited. That language is absent in the temporary language. So we have another conflict here. Okay, we have two conflicts. But more importantly, in this under Item V5, uh, this is Paragraph uh, uh, which one is it here? Oh, it's paragraph five. I'm sorry, paragraph five. Um, uh, regarding a temporary employee, uh, will be considered for a regular job op for regular job opportunities pursuant to the provisions of the GM policy. And that's in quotes. Quote GM policy: working temporary employees to regular hire. In quote document if they have an acceptable work record. And it goes on to talk about that uh, temporary employee in, in the next paragraph, temporary employee whose uh, status is, is converted from a temporary to a new hire, regular status will have otherwise and have otherwise met the requirements for acquiring seniority contained in the provisions of paragraph 57 of the UAW National Agreement will be considered to have acquired seniority as of the date of such conversion. Uh, their seniority will date back 90 days from the date of conversion. Um, having said all of that, again, there's no there's no uh, exemption from Appendix D in any of this language regarding the workforce composition for temporaries. Uh, th there's two conflicts uh, that, uh, in the sense that uh, the uh, first one uh, is in 64. Where they, uh, uh, or where in, in Appendix D, where they cited the temporary and uh, language, and then with this uh, conflict that the uh, uh, paragraph, the uh, previous paragraph on uh, the seniority employees, they have that language in there, but they don't have it here. Uh, this GM policy, working temporary employees to regular hire, document seems to be missing in action. I looked all over all the supplements and I could not find it in any one of the temporary agreements. Now, it may well be hidden in the regular agreement book that we don't have yet. Uh, and so we'll have to wait and see what that is. But for now, a temporary employee can be a seniority employee recalled from layoff into a temporary job. So you could take a 50% pay cut about a 45% pay cut, uh, or you can just be a regular employee. And there's some conflicts as to whether Appendix D apply to you. I would make the case that it does apply to you because it's not exempt from Appendix D. So this is a, a very interesting dichotomy in this language. There's at least two uh, con uh, contract conflictions in this language. And this letter that, that you approved in the ratification process 
seems to be not part of this language anywhere. So we're going to find that letter somehow. Uh, we'll get somebody to give us give it to us and see what it says. But for now, yeah, I know they're treating you like dogs in there, and you're just like a uh, you know uh, an at will employee because you're temporary and a temporary status. But I maintain that Appendix D probably should still apply to you. And the committee bodies need to take a look at this because uh, in your own plans. Now, uh, that's my opinion on it. Uh, I, you know, uh, other people are going to have to make those decisions. I think it's deplorable and horrible how they're treating the empl- uh, temporary employees in the plant. And you as a seniority employee can find yourself as a temporary employee, yet another tier amongst the groups. So I will uh, entertain a little comment if you want. We've got about four minutes here, so we've got to kind of go. Uh, I, there is time on the show, uh, so if we run a little over, we're, we're good. But uh, let's try and keep it right around 8 o'clock. Uh, comments from Terry, Roberta, or, or uh, David, please? Yeah, um, this was GM language that we were just discussing. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. At the contract, at the contract time, we discussed um, temporary um, uh, language in the Chrysler contract, FCA, excuse me, um, that uh, had uh, traditional employees um, voluntarily, it said in there, going to um, replace um, temporary employees. At the temporary rate. Do you remember that language? And also, they uh, would um, not require pension um, credits while they were in that position and not be um, able for sub benefits. Correct. Correct. Do you, that was that, I do remember language. that language. Yes. Right. It, it seems and that, to be. And right now you here. do have a whole shift being lost. Was that Sterling Heights? That was losing right. us Sterling the whole Heights ship. Land. Like 1,300 yeah. people. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Right. I wonder if we're going to see that language come into play. Um, my question at the time about that was, sure, it says voluntary, but if you receive a five-day letter in the mail that says we have a job for you and you turn that down, well, I guess we all know what that means. You're not entitled to anything. Correct. Well, I, still... I don't know that they've been. I, I I don't know that they've been forcing anybody to become a temporary. I know that when we were in a hiring status, and I don't know the entire details on it, but they had uh, tested quite a few people and called them for a temporary position out in Avon without them coming to Cleveland as full-time employees. They went out to Avon and ended up being in Avon as temp. So this is still an ongoing issue because there were people hired after them. So I think this language with the temp workers just opens a whole big can of worms. Correct, Terry. Correct. Uh, yeah. The idea Amen. that the plant has has temporaries working in it when they have uh, higher seniority persons from that plant that are that are on layoff is just simply unacceptable and that's that's provided for in this language that I just read. This could go on in your home plant you and if you got laid off there and got picked up somewhere else as a regular employee working at your thirty dollar an hour rate and then get laid off, your home plant have some temporary need in it, and your seniority still isn't there, you could get picked up at your home plant as a temporary. <laughs> unbelievable. It's absolutely unbelievable. You know, so uh, this this whole uh, debacle is just amazing. Uh, Roberta, you have are you still with us, and you have comment on this? Yes, I am. I'm still with you. And and as Terry said, that this temporary language is opening up an entire can of worms, even with the uh, temporaries themselves, the non-seniority temporaries, if they're um, 
laid off for a short period of time and they um, are called back, um, what, you know, order are they calling them back, first in, last out? Um, I know that the old language concerning um, temporary employees to regular hire talked about first in, the, the temporaries that were first in would be first to regular employment. Um, we had an issue where some temporaries are coming back to work, and uh, again, they have, they have to take another drug test. And um, I'm not sure about their pay status. It was a question of their pay status. You know, what would their pay status? Would it um, go to the um, return back to the starting rate or if it continues on? Um, so it's all kinds it, of it, questions. It, 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 it does return. It does. Just to clarify that, I don't mean to be interrupted, but to clarify your your question, they do return to the starting rate, fifteen forty. Oh, they do. Okay. Yep. Okay. So that's there. I, I again, we're we're trying to make the case, and this is why uh, Brother Peterson brought this to my attention, that the uh, temporaries are not precluded from a pathway to being a new hire, okay, or a seniority employee. They're trying to make the distinction as follows. A temporary employee exists and can't be converted unless GM policy for uh, conversion moves to uh, 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 moves them to a, to a new hire status. And then they would have to get their, their 90 days unless they've already acquired that as a temporary. But it could happen before or after their, their 90 days was established. And then as a new hire, then they start in at a new rate uh, as just a, a, a new hire. And then they move into in progression. Uh, and that would that new hire would be tier the original tier two, which is lower. And uh, then at some point in the future, they may, uh, depending on the next contracts, go into what's called in progression and move up to the uh, tier one status eventually over the course of four years. Uh, but the, these temporaries are, you know, they're they're making the case that they're just there ad nauseum forever, and we're going to use them for years and years and years. You know, somebody at the the truck assembly plant said they had a temporary for 12 years. How do you yeah. con conduct your life with them? I just don't know. But yeah, so any anyhow, we, uh, uh, we, we're trying to make the case that they have a pathway. Once we find this letter and, and discredit it, then because there's no exclusion language from Appendix D or Paragraph 57 in the temporary area of the, the co contract, I believe that we can make the case that that goes like that's a, a regular pathway, 90 days within 180 days, and any week that you even work a single day in, you get credit for seven days. So uh, that's that's what Appendix D effectively says uh, in the clarification of all the previous paragraphs. So it's pretty pretty convoluted language, and they're bouncing all around. Uh, we'll post those on the .com show. Uh, or a uh, uh, website, if you will. And uh, if anybody's got any questions on this, any further comments or questions, we'll take them. Roberta, David, Terry. I got to get ready for work here. Okay, good. We're good. Uh, so thank you for coming on, Terry. Uh, do you have any closing comments you'd like to make? No, I, I really don't. Okay. Uh, David, do you have any closing comments you'd like to make? Okay, Roberta, closing comments? Yeah, just quickly, I would just like to see the Women's uh, Committee um, at their conference. They have an annual conference. Maybe that can be a topic of discussion regarding uh, workplace, um, uh, the workplace concerning breastfeeding. So I would like to see okay. them uh, take that on as, as a topic of discussion at their conference. Okay. Thank you. That's a good point. Uh, I'll just uh, uh, wrap by saying thank, thank you to all the listeners for, for showing up and listening tonight. And this becomes a broadcast after tonight, so you can listen to it through the week if you choose to uh, on uh, Blog Talk Radio, Working for a Living, and then the uh, uh, 2016 410 show. Um, uh, again, uh, if you found value in this show, 
this evening, please tell just one other person that you think this information about uh, our announcements, our emails, our news that we bring to you, and then the topics of discussion that we air here for you. Uh, please just tell one other person if you find value in that. I want to thank everybody around the country, union and non-union, for listening. Uh, shout out to uh, uh, Youngstown, Flint, Detroit, uh, Brook Park, Tonawanda, uh, Lansing, uh, all of the, the folks at uh, uh, St. Louis uh, and uh, Arlington, Texas that listen. We really appreciate everybody around the country, Doraville, Georgia, uh, down there to uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Everybody, thank you for listening to us this evening. We try to keep this right at about an hour for everybody so you don't burn up a lot of your time listening to us either. So having said that, we'll say good night and we'll close this show for everyone. Uh, again, thank you for listening. Have a good night, folks. Right. Good night. Good night.